0: Matthew chapter 1. This morning, if you have your Bibles, I might want to turn that down a little bit. It is, um, it's great to be together in God's house. Um, this time of the year as well, where there's just such a Christmassy feel in the air. Uh, we're going to transition over these next couple weeks and really concentrate, focus um, on the Christmas story uh, this week, next week, and then on Christmas Eve. And um, just a brief note on Christmas Eve. We want to pack this place out. There's an overflow room available if you are seeking to minister to friends and family in your community. Those who do not know, perhaps, perhaps Christmas is a sensitive time that you can draw them um, with the hope of the gospel to church. Um, I would encourage you uh, to seek out friends and family members to bring especially to that Christmas Eve service where we'll have opportunity to learn and grow together. Um, we're going to look today at an at a individual that has developed a plan, and we oftentimes do this. Um, we have a perfect course of action that we have set then you realize that it doesn't always go according to your plan. That's what, that's what the lesson is. And what's interesting is that although the entire bottom falls out, uh, God steps in and has a better plan. Uh, you and I do this all the time. I know I do this all the time where I have a plan, I've set a course of action, and everything just goes south. You ever had that happen before? Um, and, it, and it forces us to alter the course, and we realize that the course that we are on is now the one that the Lord actually wanted for us. Uh, It's a simple task, really, uh, this week hanging Christmas lights. I'm a little bit later than probably I should be. Um, And it's one of those things we can handle on our own. We we refuse what? We don't want to borrow things. We don't want to ever display that we're in need. We don't want to ask for help. And so... It's a simple task. Get a ladder, hang the lights on, and just get the job done. And I realized as I was doing this, I realized that, that uh, for the low part of the house, the ladder was fine. But when you get kind of to the, the peak, the ladder was not long enough. And I can only get so far. And so I'm perplexed by this, but I'm a problem solver. So I thought, now it had been snowing that day. There was a little skiff of snow um, on the roof, but I thought I at least can get up onto the top, the peak. And if I lay on the peak, I can reach down to how far I've got from from working my way up. And um, and so I was going to do this. I was going to then grab the lights and then kind of string them up. And so I'm on the peak of the roof. It's snowy and it's slick. And I'm realizing as I'm stretching... I'm not going to to reach it. I'm just like I'm just like a little bit short. So in my plan, I've got this. The course is set. I'd seen this on a movie before. I swung my, my one leg over and just kind of hooked my my left foot. I saw the the movie was Spider-Man, I know. <laughs> it was like the ultimate move in my mind. And so as I kind of swung and just hooked my foot, I thought I could gain. And almost, and that's when my foot let go, okay? And you start sliding, and you know the plane is not going according to. And I was able to miraculously, God's intervention, just kind of somehow stop. I have to apologize, whoever it is with the white Honda sedan that then drives by and beeps and waves that I did not wave to, I'm not being rude. So I'm screaming for help please come out to help me. And my daughter's laughing at me as she comes out. You know, what's interesting is that as you get down and you're wet and you're cold, you realize, I think I've got to borrow someone's ladder. I I think I've got to display the fact, humble myself, I'm in need. So I borrowed a ladder. Billy, I borrowed your ladder, just to let you know. And got some help. I was able to spend some time with a young man in church. And, and we finished the job together. And I thought about it. God's plan for us is far, far better than we could ever have for ourselves. We actually see that in this morning's message. Where a man has a plan set. And everything goes south and God steps in. And we learn an amazing lesson of developing a trust in the Lord. Um, We need to pray. I forgot my water. One moment. Let's bow our heads and we will pray together. Father, as we come before you, we are grateful, Lord, that you hear us in our desperate pleas and cries. And that you use us, you choose in in some amazing and unique way to use us for your glory. And we thank you, Lord, for that. Father, I thank you for each person that is here. I thank you for this church that you have established. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your word. That we now have opportunity to open up, to listen to its teaching and to learn from. And Lord, to have our hearts, I trust, forever impacted through the work of your spirit in our lives this morning. Father, I pray, Lord, that we we would take this season of celebration celebrating your birth and lord we would we would literally seek to maximize every minute of this time may we speak of your goodness may we shout of your grace father we ask Lord that you would guide us now as we learn we ask this in the strong name of our savior lord jesus christ amen amen it's a powerful story that exists within the context of the Christmas story, Matthew chapter 1, but it is a story that oftentimes surrounded around a man that, that, that gets missed. And it's oftentimes missed because this man stands very, very silently in the background. He stands next to the manger where baby Jesus and his mother are. We know that this man is not arrayed in in bright and beautiful attire. Uh, His presence was not announced in in great or grand fashion. We know this individual is not adored. He's He's not looked on as precious as the baby Jesus or his mother. He's just there. Historical record... Seems strangely silent about this one man. We know very, very little about him. We do know a few things about him. We know that he was Jewish. We know that he was born in the city of Nazareth. We know that in and of himself he had very little to boast or to brag about. He was not wealthy. We we do not believe he was formally educated. You would never, ever, ever have picked this one man out of the midst of a crowd. He had virtually nothing that would separate himself from others. Except there was one thing that was very unique. There was one thing that was very, very special about this one man. And it was his family family. We do know by way of record his father's name was Jacob. His grandfather's name was Mathan. His great-grandfather's name was Eleazar. And we could go on to many, many great, 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 great because there is a specific record of the genealogy of his family roots. We know that his family legacy goes all the way back to the forefathers of the Jewish people. We know that there are... Individuals that, as you record his family history, literally for centuries, that that names are just weird names in his record: Asa and Abiud and Zerubbabel and Zadok. And then there's other names that we've probably heard of before. We would call them in biblical record or historical narrative as the heavy hitters. He has in his own. Genealogy names, he's related to men like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah. You could follow that in his own genealogy, there's even a king whose name was David. David was a great king, but he was not he was not the greatest king. We do know that this man was a simple, plain, hard-working man. He was a carpenter by train by, by, by his training. Probably practical, he could handle a hammer and a saw and and a plane and a plumb line. We do know that probably he just loved to work with wood and the feel of stone in his hand. He liked the satisfaction of building something that he could step back and, and, and he could enjoy something that was useful, something that was practical. He probably was an individual that would remain more in the the back of the room. He was probably quiet. He wore rough clothes or well-worn clothes. He probably had rough, harsh, calloused hands and skin that had been darkened from hours and hours in the hot mid-eastern sun. He was just an ordinary guy, but he was thrust into the middle of an extraordinary story. His name is Joseph. We have absolutely no record of one word that he spoke. There is no report of his immediate or extended family by way of other children. Um, There's no references to his stature or his status. There's no mention of his apparent early death. The scriptures of both St. Matthew and Dr. Luke seem almost devoid of any detail. And yet what we know is that for some reason, this quiet adoptive father was chosen to protect the infancy of the what? The savior of the entire universe, of the entire world. I love Frank Mead's who's who in the Bible. And he writes very briefly, he says, why are the records so meager? Why do they not tell more? Why must the father of Jesus be concealed by unjust silence? Or would he, great heart that he was, want it that way? Joseph was industrious, humble laborer. Descendant of King David, he spent his long days happily in his Nazareth shop, planing cedars from Lebanon, sawing hardwoods from the hills. He passed the habit of stern labor to the son apprenticed at his side. We know very little. Although the gospel records are silent, we will read a little bit from Matthew chapter 1. Let's pick up our text in verse 18. We'll read down through the end of this chapter, verse 25. Pay very close attention to the plan that Joseph has set and how God steps in and alters that plan for the good of all mankind. from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And they called his name Jesus. Now understand that there again is a story of hope. But it often goes unnoticed. Back up the narrative a little bit. I enjoy biblical narrative or historical narrative to speak about. And and we kind of have to read somewhat in between as far as the two of these young people meeting. And it begins with what? You've been there, men. You kind of... you, you kind of see her, maybe from a distance, and and what, it starts with that simple glance. Maybe she smiled at him. There's these shy greetings that eventually grow into, what, it's longer conversations and perhaps long walks together. They maybe hold hands and moments are, are are what set apart staring into one another's eyes eventually what happens here between these two it, it blossoms into the fact that a young man falls in love with a young woman so much so that what you realize you cannot you cannot and you do not want to live without one another so what happens here finally and Remember that moment that you, you get what? You, you plan and you prepare and you save up and, and, and you work up enough nerve. And although you're familiar with the sight of her, there's these butterflies in your stomach and your, 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 your mouth gets dry and there's this lump. You work up enough nerve to finally pop the question. Joseph does it at some point. It's not recorded, but Mary, Mary... Will will you marry me? You get down on one knee, we don't know. We know the response that what? She said yes. And there's this plan that is put into motion. What's interesting, oftentimes people don't realize in Jewish culture, unlike our culture, the groom is actually the center of attention, not the bride. So Joseph is what? He he is, in a sense, thrust to the forefront of those that are closest to him, slapping him on the back. Well done, Joseph. I bet you're excited. And he looks forward to this time where they're going to celebrate together. Oftentimes before a a marriage took place, the groom would then go and work on building a house, and Joseph probably dearly and desperately looked forward to that As he's working on his house, he's thinking about his beautiful wife-to-be, Mary. Maybe about the children they're going to have or the family that they're going to establish. And this carpenter has this well-planned, well-orchestrated, well-constructed life. The hope, hope of a wife and children, a home and a family. But But then something goes completely south. There's the news we call it. Mary comes up to him and says, "Honey, we we have to talk. I, I've I've got to tell you something. What is it? Well, um, I'm I'm pregnant. I'm going to have a baby. But it's really, really not what you think." And, and just imagine being on the receiving end as a young man, hearing those words. What goes through our minds first and foremost? What? Just the anger. What? What are you saying? Anger kind of seeps into a sense of what about other people looking at us and the humiliation and the embarrassment, the shock and the disbelief. How could this happen? What are you doing? Why is this happening? Mary expected to be a virgin. And now this, in that culture, public scandal. What did they do to a woman who committed fornication? Drug her out into the streets. To embarrass and humiliate. Joseph had this plan. It was all there. A wife and a house and babies and children. Matthew's Gospel does tell us what Joseph has intentioned. After some period of time, his intention was what? Just, just to break it all off. Just to start over again. His intention was what? To, to quickly and quietly set her aside. To get rid of her. It seemed like a reasonable thing to do in, in, in this crisis. It was almost a gracious thing to do. After all, Joseph was a good man, a practical man. It seemed like he was sensible God's Word says that he was a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, but minded to put her away secretly. Peterson uh, paraphrases in the message, Joseph, chagrined but noble, determined to take care of things quietly so that Mary would not be disgraced. While he was trying to figure a way out, he has a dream. We're told as to what happened. Gentlemen, guys, I speak to you for a moment. Every day, man, plain, simple, hardworking, honest man, I want you to place yourself, man, in the middle of this scenario. Where you have met this beautiful young woman, you fall in love, you ask her to marry you. She says yet, yes. The date is set. You register together at Pier One Imports. And when you get opportunity, you're picking out placemats, table settings and silverware and coffee mugs. And there's a sense of excitement and energy and then after a short while, there's complete shock and horror and surprise. You get the news that she's pregnant and it's not your baby. How would you react? I know in my flesh how I would react. And in the midst of this moment, this moment, You have a dream. The dream says, relax, it's all taken care of. I have chosen Mary to be the mother of God himself who's coming to earth to take away the sins of the entire world. You wake up and you say, I'm fine with that plan. Makes perfect sense to me you want to go with the plain dinner plates or the patterned dinner plates no it just there's something that there's a wrestling that takes place here that we've got to see just like joseph we would be in shock and disbelief it doesn't take much for us to get thrown through a loop we get messed up when the engine light goes on we we what we're a mess when when the kids are late Getting off the bus. What's happening? This is a massive story. And yet this is where we are introduced to, to Joseph moving from a plan of hope and expectation, what? To hopelessness and fear to uncertainty. And he moves once again to hope. We see two lessons very quickly. And we look at the first one, that Joseph first and foremost receives hope by trusting God. There's a lesson here for you and for me. uh, What? Ten days before Christmas. Eleven days before Christmas. Joseph receives hope by trusting God. Joseph was a good little Jewish boy. He would have been raised very familiar with the wisdom of Solomon. King Solomon. David's own son. One who's in his own family line. Who wrote what? Trust in the Lord with all of your hearts. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Joseph actually knew that. He, he probably memorized that. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own. Well, Joseph you saying, my own understanding, this whole understanding, my, this stinks from my understanding. This does not look right from my own understanding. Joseph was raised with an understanding. I think of Psalm one thirty one. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. I think that's pretty descriptive of how you'd feel. But he understood. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Verse three. Oh Israel, hope, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Joseph is immediately faced with a decision. It's the same decision that you and I have to face on a regular basis. We make a plan, we set our course, it doesn't go accordingly, and God says what? Trust me. You're you're like, yeah, but, but according to what I see. No, no, it says trust in the Lord's, and I love this, I love this, I love this little descriptive, with all of your hearts. But I tell you what, I can trust in the Lord and my, on my calendar, in the parameters of my expectations. I can trust when I want. No, no, that's not what we're talking about here. Joseph is what? Joseph is what I call on the bubble. He can go one way or the other. At some points, as he considered these things, he's pondering them, what should I do? Put her away. An angel appears, gives him this news. Joseph is confronted with this idea, what, if my forefathers could trust God, I think I can too. At some point, he had to make this decision. If, if Joseph knows that God has been faithful in the past, then I'm going to trust, as frightening as it is, as scared as I am, that I believe he will be faithful in the future. There's a place where you have to make a decision. It's one way or the other. If God instructed him, and Joseph knows that it was God who spoke to him very clearly, I know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. I know that God will not abandon me. Joseph had all these thoughts racing through his mind the same way, what? That God daily, God daily and regularly, when you open up this word, God speaks to you and you are forced with a decision. Do I trust him or not? Do I go with my plan or do I go with his plan? Can I ask this very quickly, very, very easily? Why is it so hard for us When we're on the bubble, we can go one way or the other. Why is it so hard for us to trust Him? Why? How can we wrestle with it so much? After so long, we've seen God. Every morning we wake up. Breath fills our lungs. We're given the gift of one more day by His grace and His mercy. Why is it we have such a hard time? When he tells you what? You go and you listen to me before you listen to anyone else. Why is that so hard for us? Why is it when God speaks to us every day through his word, we still have a tendency to doubt and to question and to pause and to wonder? I tell you what, this is a great time of the year to look at this story and remind us that Joseph actually receives, he receives hope. And he does it by trusting Secondly, what I love about this story is that Joseph reveals his hope by obeying God. This is where where it happens. I have found for some reason there is a huge difference between understanding what, what we should do and actually doing what we should do. Huge difference. A lot of us, we get it here, okay, but we don't really follow through with our hands and our our mouth and our feet. But check this out. When Joseph woke from sleep, did did the circumstances change? No. Circumstances are exactly the same. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. No, when he paused and he went and prayed about it for two months. No, and there's nothing wrong with praying about something, but there is a point of immediate obedience. But well, what he did is he paused and he gathered all the counsel of everyone together and then he shared this and then discussed... No, it says what? When he awoke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. No hesitation, no pause, no doubt. As a matter of fact, if you continue to read this through, we don't have the time to examine it, but later on in Matthew chapter 2, again, he has a dream directly. And God speaks to him, warning him to flee, okay, to go to Egypt. You know what the response is? In Matthew chapter 2 and verse 14, and he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and he departed to Egypt. Matter of fact, this continues to happen. Later on, he was told what? It's safe. You can go back to Nazareth. God speaks to him very clearly. You know what it says in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 19? He rose, he took the child and his mother, and he went to the land of Israel. What's happening here? There's a pattern that is being developed that we see very, very clearly. Joseph begins to demonstrate absolute trust and faith in God by obeying Him repeatedly and immediately. Well, I don't know about you, but that's where I struggle right there. Robert hits the road every day. Life. Yeah, Joseph teaches us what he decided he's going to take for his wife a woman who is not bearing his own child. In doing this, he is then taking the responsibility what to share in the unjust shame that will inevitably be heaped. Upon her, but he decides to do it. Joseph's faith in God enables him to overcome the stigma of becoming the husband of Mary and ex- accept the responsibility of raising this child as his own. And he, and he, and he just—he falls into a pattern of of listening to the Lord's leading and the Lord's directing, and ultimately, what a fulfillment of a perfect plan, perfect blessing. This man stands before us as a great reminder. Simple guy, everyday guy, every single one of us can identify him. A man that enjoys what? Boards and hammers and nails. And he takes what is so common for him, that which he sees, the tangible, and he sets it aside and he has to put trust and faith in the intangible. And he does it. And he does it again and again. And he's in front of us today to remind us of what it means to trust the Lord in every part of our lives. First and foremost, it's this idea of trusting the Lord with what? A message. Joseph actually shows us that God has a plan to to rescue us from ourselves. God has a plan to redeem us. At our very, very best, we've got to leg hooked up here and we're doing a horrible Spider-Man move as we're moving fast towards the grounds. And, and he says, I, I have something better for you than this. Well, why don't you admit the fact that you need some help? That you need other people around you. You realize that Joseph teaches us that God has a plan to rescue and redeem man from our sinful depravity, from our sinful selves. Not only do we have to learn first and foremost to trust God, but to obey God, to come to a place where we literally live every day and to meet surrender and submission to the Holy Spirit so that He receives the praise. He receives the glory, not us. I love the summary. This is written in your your notes. I love the summary how Paul, in seven words, encapsulates the message of the Gospel. Christ in you. The hope of glory. You you realize that's what we are offered? You realize that's what you are offered? You realize that's the same message that you can take and to share with others? Christ in you is the hope of glory. It is both Joseph who has been selected by God to handle this little baby, to protect this little one, It's Joseph, but it's also you and I, the innocents, have been presented with him. The work of what? His birth. The work of his perfect life and ministry. The work of his atoning death on the cross. The work of his resurrection. It's him. Just as Joseph is confronted with the responsibility of, what am I going to do with this little one? You and I are confronted with exactly the same thing. What are we going to do with this Savior, with this Lord? So I trust we hold on to this, and we understand that that Joseph teaches us an amazing lesson, especially this time of the year. So go slow. Let me encourage you to go slow and savor. Every moment of this season as we proceed closer and closer to the time that we celebrate the birth of Christ, it offers us the hope of forgiveness and redemption ultimately of life, eternity in heaven with him. Lift our heads and pray. Father, we thank you for this man. Lord, he's certainly not in the forefront, and yet for some reason you've chosen him. And by pausing this morning and examining, looking at his life, we can can learn lessons to trust you over ourselves, trust your plan over our plan. Father, I I thank you for the humility that is demonstrated in the arrival of your own son, the Savior, the Messiah of the world. Father, I would pray that we would seek earnestly opportunities this week where we're sensitive to your spirit and your leading to share others. Share with those who don't have the hope of the gospel, that don't know the hope that is in Christ, that you use us to be obedient, that we follow your plan and not ours. We ask this in Christ's name. Tim, would you stand with us as we close this song?